The following program is being brought to you on the Seventh Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit SeventhWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Astrology reveals insights into the greater world, its changing cycles, and universal forces. Through the lens of astrology, we examine special topics and current events, investigate their meaning, and discuss solutions to personal and global problems. Welcome to Astrology, the Theory of Everything, with Mary Jo Weavers and Janie McCarthy. We're here to show you how astrology can be a powerful tool for self-awareness and transformation. You'll be amazed how everything is interconnected when using astrology. Now, here are your hosts, Mary Jo and Janie. Welcome. So good to have you with us today. The show topic is your chart, how it's created, and what it represents. I'm Janie McCarthy, and I'm here with my co-host, Mary Jo Weavers, and a special guest, Hank Friedman. Hi, Mary Jo. Hi, Janie and, and Hank. It's great to be here today. Yeah, I'm happy to be here, too. So today, we're going to talk first with Hank about what the astrology chart generally represents. Hank's an astrologer and a software specialist, as well as having a BS in psychology. He's also done a good bit of certification work in different therapies. So... Uh, let's talk first about the chart, what it represents, um, and that my belief system has been from the very beginning of getting interested in astrology that the chart is a manifestation, a diagram of what our soul intends for us to experience in this current lifetime. I've often felt that it also is a depiction of the potentialities that we have to attain if, in fact, our free will is willing to participate. So, Mary Jo, uh, did you want to kick things off with our first question for Hank? Yes. Hank, you are very prolific on the Internet. You have multiple websites. You've produced instructional videos, and you've written many, many articles about astrology software and astrological articles in general. And one article in particular on your soulhealing.com website is titled, How to Approach a Chart. And Janie and I really like what this article has to say about a chart and also about your sense of humor. And I'd like to to quote a little bit from the beginning of that article. When When you have a friend and you want to describe them to someone else, what do you describe? You describe characteristics that distinguish that person from other people. It's different than describing them to the police. If you're describing them to the police, you'd say they're five foot four inches, brown eyes, scar on the left arm, whatever. But if you're describing them to a friend, you'd say they're pretty talkative and they're interested in music. 
That's the kind of information you want to be able to get out of a chart. You want to know what distinguishes the person. So, Hank, from that perspective, we're wondering if you would walk us around a chart and describe some of its basic features for our listeners. And listeners, if if you are not familiar with what an astrological chart looks like, it's a circle divided into four quadrants, each of which is subdivided by three, giving us 12 houses, which look like sections of a pie. So you can think of the chart as being like the face of a clock, It is read in a counterclockwise fashion beginning at the far left. So, Hank, walk us around the chart. Okay. The first thing I like to say is that when you go into an art gallery, looking, for instance, at paintings, the painter will often put something in in, in the painting that catches your eye, a blotch of color different from all the rest, or something in the foreground, or you know, something very prominent in some way or other. And that's true when a person looks at a chart, even if they're not an astrologer. A person may look at a chart and they say, wow, everything's crowded, seems crowded in one area. Or, wow, everything's on one side except for that one thing on the other side. What's that? And those instincts to look at what's <laughs> unusual about the shape of the configuration is very valuable in deciphering the unique qualities of an individual. Okay? That's cool. Yeah. So I like the overall shape as one of the initial approaches. What is the overall shape? And if you've seen other charts, you can get then compare. What's that overall shape compared to other charts? Is it distinct? Is it noticeably different than the others? And if so, is any part of it highlighted because of that? And then, as you said the 12 slice pie of the chart. Each slice indicates a different area of life. And the most important slice is the first one. It's the slice that goes from where 9 o'clock would be on a um, clock face down one wedge, downwards. That's called the first house. And the reason that that slice is the most important is because it describes the person themselves on all different levels, from what they wear to how they approach the world to how they look to what the relationship is with their body, with how embodied they are. And so very often astrologers will pay a lot of attention to planets in the first house, planets owning the first house, planets aspecting the first house, things like that. Okay? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But in general, you look around the whole pie and say, okay, which, which wedges are occupied? Are there any wedges occupied by more than two things? That gives emphasis. Which, ha- which ones are empty? That gives a different kind of emphasis, the emphasis of perhaps neglect. I knew one couple, for instance, where the middle four wedges what are called five, six, seven, eight, were empty. And so neither of the people in the couple put a lot of energy into the relationship. But they were compatible because they had one, di- one evening every two weeks when they got together and really enjoyed the relationship. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
And so <laughs> absences are as important as content in describing the person. For instance, if someone's got all their planets in the first four houses, they may very well work at home, or their office may look like an extension of their home, even if it's out in the world. Whereas if someone has everything above the horizon, they may spend very little time at home, or it may be a seesaw where they spend a lot of time out, and then they pull back, and a lot of time out, and then they pull back. Yes? Yes. Yes. The patterns Mm -hmm. themselves speak to what areas of a person's life they're going to be focused on and spending most of their time in. Right. Mm -hmm. And the, the houses form groups of triads. So, for instance... Houses one, five, and nine are about self-expression. And so if someone has a lot of planets there, they're likely to want to express themselves, maybe a teacher, a creator, a leader. Two, two, six, and ten are the security, work, and money houses. And so someone who has a lot of planets there may focus a lot on those areas of of their lives. Three, seven, and eleven are relationships. So people who have a lot of planets there are going to really be paying a lot of attention to interaction. And houses 4, 8, and 12 are the inner world. And so people who have a lot of planets there may not engage as much, may do a lot at home or inside. Mm. And all those divisions make for a magical picture. The one other thing I'd like to add before my next question is, a, pro- a proverb that I came up with, the strongest planet wins. If a planet's alone in half the sky, it becomes very strong. If a planet's in its own sign, it becomes very strong. It's like being in your own home. And strong planets have a louder voice than weak ones and tend to predominate in a person's life. Hmm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Hank, would you characterize a planet strong if it had an inordinate number of angles, aspects coming out of it? Yes, I would. would, You'd at least call it very well connected. (laughs) Yes. And that gives it a kind of strength because it means it has, it's touching everybody else, it's influencing, it's being seen by and seeing everybody else. I love to think about and look at a chart and personify the different planet sign combinations. That really yes. helps me put together a storyline when I'm working with a client. What about mm-hmm. you? Yes, for me, when I look at a chart, I digest it for a while, look at the strengths, weaknesses, connections, all that. And then I, then I listen for its story. The chart begins to say, I'm like this. I'm not like that. I tilt this way. I don't tilt that way. And when I hear the story, then I have a great deal of confidence that when I actually meet the person, I understand them. Mm. You're also a very gifted psychic. How, I, I don't know, it's not a percentage breakdown, but based on your astrological knowledge and what comes to you through your psychic gift, how does mm. that weave together? in a client session with you. Thank you. Part of it is that the psychic gifts enable me to see exactly where the person is now because, as you know, just because we have all these planets in our chart, at any moment in time, certain themes may be emphasized, like if someone just got into a new relationship, their seventh house is going to be emphasized even if it's not in the birth chart things like that. So the psychic gift enables me to really tune into the person when they walk in the room 
first of all, and really see who they are, what they need, where they are in their journey. In addition, however, I once had a transit that shut off my psychic gift for a week, way back when, 40-some-odd years ago. And I happened to have chart readings scheduled that week, and I watched as they were, they were still good chart readings, but they weren't quite as illuminated, because the psychic gift enables me to have the grace of, shall we say, greater creativity, greater insight, greater uh, synthesis ability, greater empathy. Mm. What was the transit? Will you share that with us? Sure. It was, uh, where Uranus was it in your chart? I'm sorry, say again. Uranus square my Pluto and my Pluto's in the 12th house. Oh, okay. Right. And can you re-speak that for our enthusiasts that may not be as familiar with the esoterics of astrology? Sure. Um, Pluto can represent, as a planet, a planet that goes very, very deeply. The 12th house can represent the deep gifts from the unconscious. And so having Pluto in the 12th meant that I had very deep insights that would float up to consciousness and perhaps connection again with spirit. And when Uranus squared it, for whatever reason, temporarily that connection was disrupted. Yeah. Mm. How That's a that? good explanation. That's very good. And Hank, for, for some of us that are more... Uh, more empirically minded, shall we say, sure. when I, and even though we do use our intuition when working with clients, for me, when I look at this chart, and I'm, as you so well described, looking at the placement of the planets and the signs and the houses that they locate, that they're located in, I'm seeing potentials and possibility. So when the client walks in and sits down in front of me, I have a series of questions or I have impressions and through asking questions and listening to the client, I start to see the, the issues arise out of the chart and take form, at yes. least in, in, in that present time for that client. Yes, that's beautiful. I often ask the client when, as soon as they come in, I say, you know, I'm here to serve you. What do you want me to focus on? And that is a tremendously revealing question. Mm-hmm. Well, now, uh, going back to the chart and the way it's constructed, I've had people ask, what are these angles that astrologers refer to? And what does above and below the horizon mean? And what about the four directional points? Can you describe mm-hmm. those to us? Of course. You know, there just was a new movie called Inside Out. And basically the bottom half is inside and the top half is outside to a large degree. That's why I said that people who work at home have a lot below the horizon. And people who often go out in the world too much have a lot above the horizon. I've seen people who don't look inside that much who have most of their stuff in the top half of the chart, people who look inside maybe even too much in the bottom half. Okay? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then the four points, the nine o'clock point on the chart, which is the ascendant, represents the person, their self, all the things I talked about, identity, you might say, on all levels. The bottom of the chart, I think, is the second most important place 
to me, not only represents the relationship with one's roots and the relationship with one's mother, but it also represents where we go when we get defensive. And, in other words, our reactive patterns are often encapsulated by that angle. Mm-hmm. Okay? Mm-hmm. Then the, the place on the chart that's 3 o'clock, um, meaning sunset, represents ha- our deepest relationships. Now, some astrologers limit that to husband or wife, but I think a best friend might land there. You know, I think that even a sibling might land there if they're really, really a partner. Okay? Mm-hmm. What about a business the, partner, Hank? What do you say? Uh, would a business partner also be in that section? Would you stop uh, reading section? my mind? <laughs> you must That's be sending me your intuitive next. gifts. <laughs> yes. yes, business partners, I really do feel, can be there too. As long as it's really a true partnership. Mm-hmm. If it's a business partner that you see once a month for a meeting, I don't know if they really are 7th house. They might be 10th, 11th or something. Mm-hmm. But if it's a real true partnership, then yes. Okay? Good. Power And then points. finally, the top of the chart, the 10th house cusp, represents achieving, action, climbing the ladder, reputation, and career. Mm-hmm. And it's important to understand that reputation is there, you know, and, and achieving is there because too many people think, well, someone's, um, for instance, taking care of their children, whether they're a man or a woman, that they're not achieving anything. Boy, they're achieving tons. And what they achieve will still be patterned after 10th house considerations. Which would include? Which would include the signs the sign on the cusp of the 10th house, planets in the 10th house, the owner of the 10th house, and where it is by sign and house, aspects to the 10th house. Mm-hmm. See, one of the premises of both ancient Greek astrology, what they call traditional astrology now, and Vedic astrology, is that a house does not have to be occupied to be aspected. And that's a very important principle because that means that anyone who has any planet opposite to a house, that planet still influences the house it's opposite to, for example. Do you work with PowerPoints, Hank? I'm not sure exactly what you mean by that term. It, I've been exposed to the understanding that when planets are clustered, around an angle they have greater emphasis on whatever that angle expresses in the chart absolutely absolutely yes that's true and however i would say wherever they wherever they cluster they bring great power perhaps too much power sometimes but i agree with you completely that to me however even if one planet is rising or one planet is at the top of the chart that planet gains power over almost every other planet in the chart in terms of being more active. Because it's at the top? Because it's close to one of the angles. Okay. Mm-hmm. You know, within five degrees, and if it's a lot closer, then it becomes a major, major quality in the person's life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you see yeah. anyone with Saturn right at the ascendant, there'll be no doubt, wow, this colors everything. Right. Well, let's go ahead and take a short break now. And when we come back, 
We'll be continuing our conversation with Hank Friedman, and I'd like to ask Frank, Hank, excuse me, how you originally got into astrology, if you could share your personal story about that. Also, we, we will be taking live calls in the last segment of our show at around 43 minutes after the hour, so stay tuned. The number for you to call in is 866 472 5795 The Voice America 7th Wave Channel Janie McCarthy loves being a professional astrologer Her academic pursuits in consciousness exploration, negotiations, and relationship transformation have been critical to helping her clients integrate their material and spiritual worlds. She is known for her ability to simplify and articulate even the most complex concepts to trigger aha moments of pure, meaningful, and lasting clarity. Janie is available for booking presentations, workshops, and client consultations and can be contacted at www.janiemccarthy.com. Mary Jo Weavers is a licensed spiritual health coach specializing in soul personality integration. A certified karmic astrologer, Mary Jo uses the symbolic language of astrology to help her clients understand themselves and their life experiences from a deeper spiritual perspective. Mary Jo can help you gain clarity about your life purpose, relationship dynamics, and how to live your life more effectively. She is available for astrological consultations in person, by phone, and Skype. Check out her website at www.maryjoweavers.com. Be visionary. Be extraordinary. Be the change. This is the 7th Wave Channel on the Voice America Network. Listening to Astrology, the Theory of Everything. To reach the hosts or the guests today, please call 1 866 472 5795. Again, that's 1 866 472 5795. You may also send an email to astrotalkradio at iCloud.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. This is Mary Jo Weavers with co-host Janie McCarthy and our guest Hank Friedman. And before we get into uh, the history of creating charts, I, I wanted to ask Hank if he would share with us a personal anecdote about how he first became involved with astrology. Hank? Sure. Well, I um, started dating someone way back in the 70s. And she asked me, what's your sign? And I looked at her like um, she had um, made a mess. <laughs> and I said to her, um, you believe in astrology? And at the time, I just was fresh out of neurochemistry graduate school. So I was quite scientific. And she said, well, you could consider yourself a scientist. Test it. Don't just dismiss it. 
So since I was always a whiz kid at math, I taught myself the math quickly, and there was a local bookstore that enabled, let me use their books to calculate charts and, you know, with the ephemeris and all that. And I began giving free readings to people at work. And, you know, I worked in, uh, with, um, in an institution that worked with retarded children, and there were lots and lots of attendants, and they said, sure, do my chart. And I began reading what the book said, testing everything I said, and asking them, does this fit, does this fit? Much to my shock, 70% of what I shared with them fit them, whereas only around 40% of what I shared with them fit me. And over time, I began to, began to realize some things in the book never worked, some things, things always worked, and when I threw out the stuff that didn't work, the percentages rose and rose and rose till people were saying, everything you said worked, mm. even though still only around 30 or 40% fit me. Mm. And so somewhere in there, I went from wanting to disprove astrology to falling in love with it. Mm. I am consistently amazed when I hear what backgrounds people come from and how they find their way to astrology and how their academic backgrounds play into them, proving that it's something that they would have a long-term interest in. So yes. let's segue to the history of how charts were created. If we go way back in time, do you happen to know what the first, when the first chart was created and what period it may have been created? Well, I don't think that is known simply because we need to remember that Vedic astrology is most likely older than Western astrology. And at the same time, most of the charts that were probably done early on were done on paper, papy, paper papyrus, mm-hmm. and never, never lasted. Mm-hmm. So there may be literally thousands of years of charts that crumbled into dust before the first charts that were carved, let's say, into stone became discovered in more common eras. And long before there were software programs available for astrologers to use, what kind of academic backgrounds did people have that gave them the skill set they needed in order to cast a chart? I'm glad you asked that. It it turns out, when I was doing some research on words, because I love words, that the term mathematician in ancient times meant astrologer. Hmm. Because most, the high, greatest motive for learning mathematics in ancient cultures was to be able to plot the course of the sky, to be able to do charts, astrology wow. charts. Now, you need to remember that astrology charts were never done for individuals initially, at least not in the West. They were done for countries, weather, and kings. Hmm. And so they were done for predicting war, for predicting weather changes, and predicting succession of the king, all of that stuff. And was that due to people's financial ability to pay for an astrologer? I think, well, again, I'm speaking speculatively. That's fine. I like to pretend I'm authoritative when I'm not. But what I've read suggests that it was considered too powerful. In other words, there's a lot of secrecy involved because, for instance, if you have warring countries, 
you don't want your astrologer working for your competitor, <laughs> right? Correct. And so it was kept under great control initially, I believe. Mm-hmm. So um, there was the, the need for mathematics, also astronomy, an understanding of yes, astronomy? Yes, absolutely. Observational astronomy was crucial. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you wouldn't know where something was. And, of course, you could observe the planets at night. You could not observe them except for the sun during the day. So they had to learn how to extrapolate where the planet would be during the day from the night. And you referenced the ephemeris. Would you tell our audience what that book is, what it represents? An ephemeris is a listing of where the planets are at the current time, where they were yesterday, the day before, 20 years ago, 40 years ago, and so on, and where they will be tomorrow, the next day, the next day. Now, remember, they didn't have ephemerises for most of astrology's history. They could only know where it was today and yesterday. You know, they had ones going backwards but not forwards because the math wasn't that good. Okay? Mm-hmm. So it, around the time of Tycho Brahe and Kepler, the numbers got better. The accuracy, the predictions became much more precise. Mm-hmm. But before that time... You know, I remember looking at a tablet which showed a chart done in ancient Greece, and some of the planets were three degrees off because they just didn't have as good math. Mm-hmm. It's understandable. Yeah. So if we fast forward, Hank, to today, um, tell us about the construction of charts today. What astrologers are using? Well, they're using computers and smartphones and tablets and the Internet. And it all started... Um, for astrologers, individual astrologers, back in 1977 and 1978, when James Neely and Michael Erlewine developed um, programs for the new, what they were called microcomputers, what later became called personal computers. They developed programs in astrology, and I'll never, I can't tell you the thrill I had in 1978 when I got my first computer given to me by a grateful client. And I had this little six-inch green screen, and I entered the person's birth information, and I watched the planetary positions pop up. It took around two seconds for each planet. And I watched, there's the sun, there's the moon, there's Mercury, and it was very exciting. So before that, were you manually calculating charts? Yes, I would use a slide rule and an ephemeris. I'd use a slide rule to do the interpolation, because some planets, like the moon, for instance, move too quickly to just say, well, it was here one day, here the next day, just cut it in half. No, because it may be accelerating or decelerating. You need to actually find out from looking at the day before that and the day after that. So you're looking at four days, whether it's accelerating or decelerating, and you take that into account. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, you use something called a table of houses at the, in those days to calculate where the ascendant was, and therefore all the house cusps. Mm-hmm. I have, excuse me, I have a copy of my chart from the 1970s that was constructed by hand by the astrologer. And yes. it's, she must have been using those same techniques that you're describing. And she had to hand draw in each planet and uh, yes. most of the components of the chart. Yeah, I used to do that. I lived in a household and we set up my, it was a small household and we didn't have much money. So I set up my desk in the in this shower room. It wasn't a bathroom, it was just a shower room. And there was my desk in the corner so I could calculate charts. 
<laughs> so um, give us um, uh, the spread of, of um, activities that astrology software allows astrologers to do today. Well, how much time do you have? But we'll do so. <laughs> well, there's lots more, more we want to get to, so see what you can do uh, the cliff notes on. Okay, I know, I'm just playing a little. Well, first of all, there's chart wheels. There's single wheels, which are for birth charts and all the rest. And then there's bi wheels, where you want to look at the transits around the birth chart in being predictive events, or even tri wheels, where you put two predictive events around a chart. Or what's called a dial, which is used in uh, cosmobiology, which is a kind of harmonic chart. Then there are the ephemerises, like you said. A lot of people can love, love to print out a page of ephemeris and carry it with them so that any day of the month they can take it out and look. There's also graphic ephemerises that show the same thing as a curved graph. One of the main things astrologers want to do is say, what are the planets now doing to my chart? So there can be listings called hit listings which show when a planet enters influence hits the planet, and then gradually leaves. And there can be graphs of those, too. So a transit graph shows you, oh, there, that's entering on this date, exact on this date, leaving on this date. Then there's a whole school of astrocartography, maps that show where in the Earth different planets are emphasized or strengthened. Then there are a lot of interpretive reports, birth chart interpretations, compatibility interpretations, transit interpretations, and so on. These are printouts that they usually only take one or two factors into account at once. They don't really synthesize, so they can't really do what an astrologer can do. But still, they can be surprisingly good, depending on who writes them. Then there's ta all different kinds of tables. There's astrological calendars. There's animated charts where you can actually watch the planets move around the charts, the transiting planets, and aspect over time. There's the ability to design your own pages and wheels. There's the ability to search your chart file, which some people would call a database, to find out, okay, I want to know everyone who has Mercury and Taurus, because I want to see if I can get a sense of what they all have in common. Or someone who searches time. I want to know the next time Mars conjuncts Saturn, because that was intense for me. I just want to see when that's going to happen next. Time searches. They can all, people can also search for and map eclipses. And they can also have tools that shift the chart like a minute or a half a minute at a time forward or backward to rectify it, to try to say, does that chart fit me better? Maybe I was born five minutes earlier, you know? Mm -hmm. And then there's um, whole sets of research tools, group research tools, individual research tools. There's one program that shows what family members have in common, things like that. And you can even put a chart um, a, um, a wheel of the sky on your screen and have it update in real time. So every time you look at your computer screen, there's the chart for the moment. Wow. You can even set al alarms for it that say, I'll, will you please ring a bell when Mars crosses the ascendant because I want to buy the stock then. And it will beep at you and then you go buy your stock. <laughs> there's so Things much like that. that the software does today. So let's do a little speculating. I want you to look okay. 10, 20 years into the future. How do you think astrologers are going to be developing the information they need to interpret a person's chart? Thank you. Well, my hope is that, and this is a vision I have, that there will be a cooperative effort between clients and astrologers 
where that will be mediated by a computer so that the client will mark on their smartphone, let's say, I had a bad day today. Will you put that into the system? And so by tracking thousands of people over time and having all the data collected by a computer that looks at all the cycles that are going on and looks at the person's birth chart, there might be some new principles that the computer comes up with. We've discovered that whenever there's a waxing moon, such and such happens, and so on. Wouldn't that be amazing? It sure would. Yes. I I also wonder whether or not artificial intelligence and particularly virtual reality will come into play. I remember being at Universal Studios and sitting in the audience when a hologram was presented. It was the first time I'd ever seen anything like that. Then later, there was a movie with Michael Douglas in 1994. It was called Disclosure. He is hooked up to a virtual reality machine. He puts gloves on. He's got goggles. His whole body gets scanned. And what gets projected on the screen in front of him is him walking through, I believe it was, a a company. It was called Digicom's Holographic Database. So my imagination runs wild when I think about the opportunities that virtual reality might bring into the astrological field where people yeah. can actually see what goes on in parts of their yeah. lives, hear music that comes up in the background, see flashes yeah. of art, poetry references, all these things that if they were concentrated, centralized in a database, a personal database up on the iCloud, for instance, would all mm-hmm. be accessible to the program to pull down. For the, yes. for, for the hologram to display. Further. Good. Imagine that you're a couple's therapist and you have a couple in your room and projected on the wall it is what parts of their charts are, are activated while the couple argue. Mm-hmm. Oh, cool. So that the people can see <laughs> exactly that this is part of the enmeshing of their energies. Right. Can you imagine that? Yeah. Yeah. And how awakening that would be. Because, you see, one of the most common mistakes we all make is thinking everyone should be just like us. Or everyone is just like us. And then we get horribly disappointed when they're not. But the more we understand astrology, the more, more we accept and even revere the differences between people. And one of the most common things that causes friction in a relationship is when someone doesn't understand that the other person isn't malicious or lazy or anything, but they're just embodying their structure. And the chart shows that. You hold that thought. I want to come back to that. We're going to take a break. And uh, if uh, you'd like to call in, it's 866-472-5795. And if you're emailing us questions, that would be astrotalkradio at iCloud.com. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. The 7th Wave Channel on the Voice America Network. 
Mary Jo Weavers is a licensed spiritual health coach specializing in soul personality integration. A certified karmic astrologer, Mary Jo uses the symbolic language of astrology to help her clients understand themselves and their life experiences from a deeper spiritual perspective. Mary Jo can help you gain clarity about your life purpose, relationship dynamics, and how to live your life more effectively. She is available for astrological consultations in person, by phone, and Skype. Check out her website at www.maryjoweavers.com. Janie McCarthy loves being a professional astrologer. Her academic pursuits in consciousness exploration, negotiations, and relationship transformation have been critical to helping her clients integrate their material and spiritual worlds. She is known for her ability to simplify and articulate even the most complex concepts to trigger aha moments of pure, meaningful, and lasting clarity. Janie is available for booking presentations, workshops, and client consultations and can be contacted at www.janiemccarthy.com. The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Seek greater awareness. Listening to Astrology, the Theory of Everything. To reach the hosts or the guests today, please call 1 866 472 5795. Again, that's 1 866 472 5795. You may also send an email to astrotalkradio at iCloud.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everyone. I'm Janie McCarthy here with my co-host, Mary Jo Weavers. We're talking to Hank Friedman. He's an astrologer, computer software designer, developer, and he's also referred to as the practical psychic. I love that title. So right before we went to break, Hank, you were speaking about the future of casting charts and what we might be in store for. Would you continue on that frame? Sure. I think one of the greatest contributions computers can make to astrology is not only to make it accessible to everyone who wants to do it simply. You know, with free apps, anyone can create a chart anytime now. And what that can do is bring the vocabulary and understanding that astrology has to everyone. And imagine a couple are having a fight, and then the, 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 your iPhone beeps and says, you're having Mars square your sun right now. Of course you're angry. <laughs> and how that would change the whole conversation, wouldn't it? Well, it would for the it, astrologer. It could. The clients <laughs> may need a little um, cliff note for it. But it, and, of course, it could speak in English and not just astrological terminology. Mm-hmm. It could say, the next few days, be careful about speeding because there might be more likely encounter with the law. I there can't you tell you the number of times people said I got tagged by a cop and they had a Saturn transit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and Saturn rules the law. And so, you know, if you're having a Saturn transit, don't speed. Don't try to get to the airport and check in at the last minute because you might get delayed on the road because Saturn also rules delays. And imagine if this became part of the everyday vocabulary of everyone, whether they use the planetary names or not. Can you imagine uh, uh, 
having a headset on and going about your business and getting these updates intermittently. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it would be, I think it would be fantastic. And then if it became common enough knowledge, then people would understand we're not going to do that business meeting or that political parlay because the moon's void, of course. It's not going to resolve if we do it today. Mm-hmm. Right? It's such, it's such a wealth of information. Yes. And so I see the astrology for the common person, the person who doesn't have the wherewithal to do all the deciphering and analysis and study, but who would li- still benefit from, the, from it mm-hmm. tremendously, in, in fact. Did you know there are already apps where you can enter someone's birth date and it'll show you how compatible you are in financially and romantically and physically and all those ways? Just there by entering some, their birth date. There are some amazing apps out there. Yes. And they're only going to get more and more accurate as the computing power increases and therefore the number of factors that can be taken into account increase. Mm-hmm. And that's something to look forward to. You're talking to two people who would look forward to it. Yes, definitely. <laughs> yes, I'm preaching to the choir. <laughs> well, Janie, I see that we have a, a caller from Eugene, Oregon. Uh, let's take that call. Hello, Jan. Welcome. Hi. Um, so, uh, my question is, um, when you guys were talking about the nodes, the south and north nodes, um, and the planets being very important if they're in those houses, or at least at the midheaven, so my, my question is, if the south node shows what you, what you kind of know what you're doing, how you're doing it, um, but you've come to kind of work through and work toward the north node in this lifetime. Well, what happens when that, when that house, when that south node is, has like Leo at 19 degrees and then Pluto at 19 degrees and then the moon also in there at 25. So it really, it really feels like the urge is to, to, to work with that house in this lifetime and project yourself out. But, but you're trying to work toward the north, and that's the Aquarian piece. And the, I, I don't, I don't understand how that all works together. That's actually a brilliant question. It really is. Because well, thank you. It, it. May I answer that? Yes, please. please. It's really important for everyone not to be mechanical, and to say, well. We always should move towards our north node and, ne- and move away from our south node, first of all. Okay, that's a little mechanical, and it's not always what's true. Okay? Mm-hmm. More importantly, you know, since I do both Vedic astrology and Western astrology, and Vedic astrology has been using the nodes for at least 3,000 years longer than Western astrology, and uses them as planets. They're very, very actively woven into the entire system. What I would say is that when you have that kind of conjunction of Pluto, the moon, and the south node in a house, that that's an area that definitely needs a lot of attention because that's an area where you're very likely to give yourself away. The south node can represent feeling invisible, feeling um, surrendered, feeling vulnerable, feeling open, and learning how to have proper boundaries, learning when to stop giving, 
and learning to take a few breaths before saying yes or taking action are very major themes with that particular configuration. And to recognize that on the high side, on the other hand, you share so much spontaneously because both the moon and the south node represent spontaneous flow as opposed to deliberate, analyzed choice. And that you're, general, you're instinctively generous, you're instinctively sharing, you're instinctively show up for people. And those are wonderful qualities as long as you don't give yourself away too much. How's that? Wow. That's, that's very interesting. Thank you so very much. You're very welcome. Thank, thanks for your call, Jan. Mm-hmm. Thank you guys for having the show. Oh, you're so welcome. Well, that was wonderful, Hank. Um, I'd like to change direction here because we're coming up towards the hour. And one of the areas we wanted to discuss with you was all the different platforms and devices for astrology software. And we know that you have an article that will be coming out soon in the Mountain Astrologer. Oh, it just came out. Excellent. So our question we would like you to answer is what kinds of astrology software are out there? Okay. First of all, I'll answer the question you just posed before that. You can get astrology software for the PC and the Mac for Windows and for um, iOS. Or, and you can also get it for, as the New Mountain Astrology article that just came out says, for the Android and the iPhone, iPad platforms. So astrology software, even Linux has some astrology software, although very little. Most serious astrologers get PCs because there's not many choices for the Mac. But the nice thing is that there's now good choices in both Vedic and Western for the smartphones and the smart tablets. Okay? Okay. Mm -hmm. Now, there are all different schools of astrology. And there's a software, and maybe not for the iPhones, but for Windows, certainly, for Vedic astrology, Babylonian astrology, Tibetan, Chinese, Mayan, esoteric astrology, and then for answering questions, horary astrology, or for choosing the best times, which is called electional astrology, or for looking at um, physical issues, medical astrology, or where do I live, locational astrology. There's also the different schools of approach that are more modern, like there's a school in um, Europe called Huber Astrology, in Germany, Cosmobiology and Symmetrical Astrology, and of course, Modern Western Astrology. And then, of course, the people who want to study um, ancient Western Astrology have a lot of tools for the Hellenistic, medieval, traditional astrology school. And then there's programs specifically designed for financial astrology. They tend to be very large and expensive, but a lot of people who do stock work use financial astrology programs. And then there's programs that can assist a person in finding their birth time. They can't actually do it themselves, but they can do some of the computations. That's called rectification to help someone find more accurately narrow down their birth time. And then finally, there's research programs that allow you to do all different kinds of research on astrology. Okay? There's a lot out there. (laughs) There certainly is. And now give us the slice, Hank, that um, the difference between what beginners and professionals should be looking for in in astrology programs. Thank you. 
I would say that the main thing that a beginner wants is a program that you can point on a planet and have it pop up an interpretation. Because in the beginning, it's hard to remember all the things. Yes, you can do flashcards and you can get teachers. But it's nice to have a program that is very basic. You just enter the birth information and it comes up. There's a series from astrocom.com called the Electronic Astrologer Series. And they have a very good natal report and they have a very good transit program. And they're inexpensive, under $100, for example. And so those would be very, very good for a beginner because they have the atlas built in, they calculate charts accurately, and generate reports, long reports, on both what's happening in the sky now and on people's birth charts. Mm -hmm. As one gets more advanced, then they tend to also specialize. And that's when you need to find a program that meets your needs, whether you're really enamored of selling astrology reports, then you want a program that has a lot of reports available. Whether you want to do research, then you need programs with good research features, and so on. And that's where, you know, I give free counsel to people who want to buy software. They can just email me, and I'll help narrow down the choices for them if they'd like. One of the other things that you shared with us that I thought was very, very Aquarian of you is you help other software designers, organizations, Yes. Um, shake down their so- their software, even suggest design changes. Yes, that's that's, yeah, I've that's done pretty. None of that. There's almost no astrology program that hasn't, or Western one at least, that meaning made in the U.S. that hasn't gotten feedback from me, mm-hmm. because I love astrology software and I want to support the development of the best tools. So I've given literally tens of thousands of hours to companies in designing software and adding new features and debugging things in making them more user-friendly, more comprehensible, because we astrologers deserve to have the best tools possible. That's very generous, very generous of you. So for the listeners, if they want more details between uh, the differences uh, between what a beginner versus a professional would choose, there is an article on Hank's website, Soul Healing. It's called 10 Things That Astrologers Should Know About Astrocomputing. Very, very good article. I would recommend it. Thank you. And then don't forget that I also love teaching. So I have a website called learnastrologyfree.com. Oh, talk about that. And what I... See, I'm more of a sprinter than a long-distance runner. So I only wrote one book on astrology software, but it's easy for me to write short articles. So over the years... When I've done classes, I've posted what I've taught in the classes. When I've, and then every, every other month, I write a new article for my Learn Astrology Free website. Some of them are Vedic, some of them are Western, some cover both. And so it's over 150 now. And I just love sharing what I've learned. And then anyone in the world can go to that website and learn astrology, Western or Vedic, systematically from my, my tutorials. That's fantastic, Hank. And we so appreciate all of the work that you've done over the decades for for astrology and astrology software and all of these wonderful resources that are out there. And already we're out of time on this show. This conversation has been wonderful. Uh, we want to thank Hank Friedman for joining us and for telling us how an astrological chart is created and interpreted and sharing with us a lot about astrology software, platforms, and devices. You can find out more about Hank and read his articles at soulhealing.com. 
and you can explore his free astrology tutorials and a wealth of astrological information at learnastrologyfree.com. You can contact Hank directly by email at stars at soulhealing.com. And thank you listeners for joining us today on Astrology, the Theory of Everything. You can find us on Facebook at Astro Talk Radio. Link up with Janie and me on LinkedIn. And we can continue our conversation on Twitter with hashtag Astro Talk Radio. Please join us next week when we discuss Astrology and Astronomy, Mapping the Marriage of Heaven and Earth with special guest storyteller Brett Joseph of More Than Astrology. Thank you for being a part of the show today. Please join Janie McCarthy and Mary Jo Weavers again next week for another edition of Astrology, The Theory of Everything. We're live every Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America's 7th Wave Channel. May the stars be with you.